of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, still in lockdown, still scattered around the greater Norwich area. I'm your host, Dave Freezer. We're also coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM, and I'm joined by Paddy Davitt, Tony Thrussell, Connor Southwell. Paddy, come to you first. How are you doing? Lovely today. Yes, well, I'm being flippant. Uh, sun is shining, coming through it my is. window, and we're in it. So, uh, yeah, I'll just have to get out in the garden, keep my QPUPs going. Still stuck around 100 Connor, for your information. <laughs> so, uh, but the, the weather is glorious. Um, we're in a bit of a rhythm, at least I am now. It feels work-wise, this isolation work. I haven't gone so crazy yet, so may, may, maybe I'm adjusting to the new normal. I don't know about you, boys. Yeah, I think I can sort of go along with that to a certain extent. Um, it is nice to catch up with people on the phone and, and face-to-face stuff just to um, sort of remind yourself. I mean, we have been, we were a little bit ahead of the curve, weren't we, in that uh, I haven't actually been in Norwich for three weeks now. It was three weeks yesterday. It was the last time I went into our office, which is the first day I've moved over as a news reporter. Um, and we'd already been at home for two or three days, I think, by that point, hadn't we? So we because we're all set up to work from home, we'd been quite sharp on it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of used to it. It just feels it feels like you're not quite as uh, productive as you normally would be because, this, you know, communication takes a lot of uh, your time and things like that. And yeah, so, to a certain extent, you're re- relying on people coming back to you on, on your mobile phone and things like that. So it's definitely different. But I'm not, I feel like I'm managing uh, managing all right. Uh, Connor, how, how are you getting on? Yeah, about the same, to be fair. I think the the time that you're working so from nine till what five six whatever it is at, at night is is fairly manageable it's sort of then you you finish and you go right what do i do now then is, is sort of the case but um, open a beer has generally been my uh my approach <laughs> it's probably not yeah it's probably not a bad approach i've been uh I've, luckily i've been watching the sunderland um series on netflix oh, oh yeah yeah, yeah i've been watching that yeah I started uh, that yesterday. Yeah. So I've, I've just got to the stage where they've just spent three million pounds on Will Grigg, which is quite an interesting. Oh, yeah. Is he on fire? Um, no. I think he's scored five goals since he's been there, so not massively. Um, but but yeah, it's quite an interesting insight into into football clubs and how they run and stuff. So that, that's that's been quite good. Um, still doing the the Joe Wicks exercise stuff, which is meant to be for children, but it's, it's completely <laughs> killing me. I'll be completely honest. Um, so yeah, filling the days just about. Um, the weather's nice, which is making it, I think, even a, a bit more painful being inside. But there you go. It's, it, it is what it is, isn't it? And uh, we're, we're getting through. We're getting through. Yeah, the next focus for us is the, on the garden. Um, the, the girlfriend's been doing a bit of that Joe Wick stuff. But I I uh, set up a bit of a boot camp on our drive on Saturday and uh, took her through the stuff that I used to do at a boot camp at, um, at the gym at Riverside, where one of my mates is the PT. So, um I think she uh, found that quite tough. Well, we both did really get in the, in the circumstances. But uh, yeah, you got to do your best to try and stay fit, haven't you? And certainly, we've sort of talk about them taking the lockdown even further. Let's hope we don't uh, we don't get to that, and they don't take away the exercise because that would um, that would seem a real uh, big measure to to be taken away. Um, and Tony, how are you how are you cracking on? Yeah, like you guys were saying, it's kind of gotten used to it now. This is the new normal, isn't it? So. Um, we're lucky enough that we can work from home and we have done it on the odd occasion in the past. So it's kind of uh, something we're used to, but I think helping uh, something that's helped me is that I did move house just before this happened. So I've got a bit of a project on the side as well. And um, yeah, I've been filling my evenings with uh, spinning sessions on FaceTime with my friend. Um, That's kind of been my exercise. So if we are pushed into staying within our walls, I think that's going to ramp up even more because if we're not allowed to go for walks, then it's going to be a big blow, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's that's quite helpful to have an exercise bike. You've got um, one of those sort of turbo things where you put the uh, bike into it. Um, well, luckily, my friend just... I think the day after his gym got locked down, um, he had about 20 spin bikes and because um, I helped him... <laughs> I helped him out when he set up just sort of with some stuff. He said I could borrow one whilst nice. we're in lockdown. So I've got it in my cabin. Um, yeah, and then going man on cave. YouTube. Well, it's not a man cave. It's an empty cabin at the moment. But um, yeah, going on YouTube, getting spin classes up and linking up on FaceTime with, with my mate and uh, 
getting in the zone. It's been quite good, actually. That sounds good. I need to watch that Sunderland programme uh, on Netflix. I quite enjoyed the first season. Mm. Um, right, uh, let's get stuck into the football. We were just saying before we started recording that Norwich would have been preparing, and perhaps in an alternate reality, still are. Um, but in this reality, because of coronavirus, we are not still. Football is still on hold until at least early May. It would have been a home game against Brighton, followed by a trip to Watford and a home game against West Ham. So that really would have been sort of crunch relocation territory. Semi-final as well. Uh, yeah, that could well have been in the mix. Yeah, the Wembley trip. Um, but it could all still happen, Tony. We, we can't give up hope yet. Um, and uh, you just told me that on this day, as we record, it is, what, uh, three years since the 7-1? No, 18-19. No, yeah, three years Same since... Thing, yeah. The uh, 7-1 win over Reading, which is the start of the Webolution. Pad, what are your memories of that? Alan Irvin being in charge. No, I think it was, it was sunny now. That's about the only thing I remember. <laughs> we, we see so many games. I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you. I'm getting flashbacks to Connor's quiz we did on Friday, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But uh, being put on the spot with certain goal scorers, I couldn't That's honestly upset. begin to tell you who scored in that. I don't, don't even ask me. To, all I know is that <laughs> Reading were pretty diabolical on the day. They were. Uh, we just did the, like in the last few days, didn't we? Stuart Webber's three-year anniversary since he swept in. And uh, and this was quite a statement he made, albeit, yeah, I think my vague recollection is Reading were diabolical on that day. But um, fair play, you know, Alan Irvin, that was a, that was a good statement. Sadly, if he hoped that would be a job application, it didn't quite work out that way. But um, yeah, yeah, it's got lost in the midst of the time, if I'm brutally honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of ploughing through. We've had a series with our good friend Corey Varney um, charting the Weber Lucian. And um, yeah, that doesn't get much of a mention for the simple reason, obviously, it was more of a holding pattern, wasn't it, back then until Mr. Farker arrived and then we had a lift-off and uh, led to the Premier League. So, no, you want, maybe one of the other lads can come in on that specifics of the Reading game because I can't, for the life of me, think who scored. Well, I've got it in front of me, actually. Um, it'll well, soon come back to you quite... That's cheating, <laughs> isn't it, dear? <laughs> All right. You, 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 you told who me scored for Reading? On that one, I'd have called it all myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The only, I tell you, the Reading game I do remember is the one last with Godfrey and Zimmerman when it went turbo yeah. and then they equalised yeah. in the stoppage time. That's the one that sticks in my head. Go on, dear. Oh. Who's called me? That that should have been the moment, shouldn't it? Zimmerman, Godfrey to the rescue. Well, um, uh, apparently Lewis Graben played 90 minutes for Reading that day. Say. I don't don't remember that at all. Oh, yeah. um, He's played but, for yeah. so many clubs, hasn't he? It's, he uh... has, yeah. Um, and he got out of there. He get well. He gets out of clubs quite quickly as well, doesn't he? Once he's unhappy, yeah. which is most of the time. Maybe, maybe um, it's him, not them. <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> um, they were six-one up at half-time. Oliveira scored an early penalty. Hulahan scored two. Pritchard two. Russell Martin scored one. Jan Kermigan one pulled one back just before the break for Reading. And I think, um, off the top of my head, that that might have been a Carrow Road record. The first time Norwich had ever yeah. scored six goals in um, in a half of really? football at Carrow Road. Since Something close to that. Um, and yeah, Cameron Jerome added one on late. Mitchell Dykes was playing for Norwich. He's one that um, yeah. soon disappeared. He's at Bologna now, I think, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Can, yeah. can you name the three survivors from, from that match that are still here? Well, I can. So over to Connor. Because <laughs> I've got it in front of me. Tete. Two others, is there? Two others. Ah, yes, yeah. I see one... Were they, were they starting or on the bench? Oh, yeah. One of them was an unused substitute. Tim Closer. Tim Closer. Yeah, so, yeah. Closer. Closer. Yeah. The other one is always on the bench. Or not on the bench. <laughs> he had a great year in 2016. Mickey McGovern. Oh, McGovern. McGovern, yeah. That's the one. The three survivors of that 7-1, which is three years ago. How much has happened in that time? Anyway, back to the current. And, Pat, if I come back to you to start with, bef- yep. uh, since the last pod was recorded, we had spoken a little bit about the club furloughing off-field staff. Things were starting to evolve and they really have cranked up since then, haven't they? It's been, you know, on a national scale of debate, ridiculously perhaps. Um, but we've heard since then that Norwich are donating 200000 to charities. So just sort of bring us up to up to date with the latest on that sort of situation. Yeah, yeah, there was a bit of activity and it's all set against the backdrop of what is the financial impact for clubs, for players, for the football in general, professionally in this country. And 
inevitably Norwich focus is on the Premier League, but right down the tiers. And, you know, we hear about these meetings of all the key st- stakeholders and what they're trying to do is find a common position um, on all the key issues. And one of them is player ages, of course, and that still hasn't been resolved as we speak here on Wednesday afternoon. Um, and one, increasingly, is what happens to your non-football staff. And uh, I've lost count now of how many clubs in the Premier League have opted to go and, and access the government's job retention scheme um, as, to give its official title. But Norwich are one of those. That was announced uh, with the caveat that Norwich have committed to topping up because we're not getting to the nuances of the government's the commitment is 80 percent of of a, of a monthly salary up to two and a half thousand i think but norwich uh pledged when they announced they were going to furlough that they would top up that 80 percent so no furloughed member of staff would be out of pocket um that's that's definitely needs to be re-emphasized um as opposed to one or two other clubs newcastles and tottenham's who haven't i don't think and and yes there was a negativity and unfortunately i think Norwich were bracketed with the Tottenham's and the Newcastle's in that initial phase. I think subsequently Bournemouth have now announced they're going to do that. And then obviously Liverpool did over the last weekend and have since rode back in a big way because probably like the Tottenham's and Newcastle's general public football fans look at those sort of clubs and think why are, well, let's be honest, billionaire-owned mega-million revenue turnover clubs relying on government to prop up paying payroll of non-football staff um, that's the moral dimension to this but I do think it's very harsh to bracket Norwich with those clubs yes they all are currently members of the Premier League but uh, if you don't know by now Norwich are a self-funded club self-sufficient with the in terms of individual well the smallest owners wealth-wise in the Premier League then where have you been for the last two three four five years so Stuart Weber has since come out and done a little bit of media on BT Sport with Jake Comfrey reiterated that you know, this is to safeguard the future of the club. You know, this is about safeguarding jobs and safeguarding so that there is a Norwich City football club as we know it beyond this global pandemic. So people have other opinions. People outside of Norwich City and their fan base clearly feel morally there's an issue to answer. A lot of politicians have got involved, which sticks in my throat a little bit. They might want to look at some of the big multinational companies and wealthy, wealthy individuals in this world who are also accessing that furloughing scheme. So um, massive, massive debate. But fundamentally, Norwich have felt for them, for their circumstances, this is the way they have to go. Um, and you either accept that for the reasons already stated or you don't. And, and then we move on. So that's that really in a nutshell. That's where we are with that. And then the other thing you mentioned, yep. Yeah, Player-led, um, spoken to Grant Hanley subsequently on this, but the players, as I was told it, contributed in the region of 190000 or are pledged to donate that from their salaries collectively, uh, which is then topped up by Daniel himself, Daniel Farker, members of the executive committee, the three-pronged Weber, Ward, Kensel, and uh, board level as well to top that up over 200000 and that will go to individuals and charities locally affected by the pandemic. Again, you know, the ones who want to look at it as a, as, a, as, a, as a token gesture will look at it that way. I think the fact that Norwich were very proactive and they were one of the first, if not the first, set of players to come up with a scheme of that nature, I think is commendable. Um, and I think, again, you pay your money, you take your choice. But I, I, in all the dealings I've ever had with Norwich players, I think they do realise their responsibilities. Every player who's done any media in the last few days, Kenny McLean has done a few bits and pieces, spoke to Ben Godfrey yesterday, they all understand their responsibility as footballers who earn a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, but also where they, where they are in terms of the, the, the local community and what Norwich means as a football club to the local community. And, you know, we've seen that on a, on a micro level with them picking up the phone and speaking to vulnerable and elderly supporters. So uh, for me personally, I think Norwich have made a lot of good moves in this area, but ultimately to wrap this up from me until there is probably a collective agreement with every club and every player from premier league downwards regarding wage deferral slash wage cuts i think they're always going to they unfortunately are going to leave themselves open to accusations that why are footballers exempt from this and, and that's the way it is but you know you speak to ben you speak to grant and as they say this is getting decided way above their pay grade this is the pfa this is top people in individual football clubs. This is the Premier League, the FA, and, and really the players will will 
be guided by what these people tell them. So for anybody to criticise any player, particularly any Norwich player, I think is wider than mark, personally. Apologies if anyone just picked up a very loud plane going over our house. I hope that didn't pick up on the mic. It came behind mine as well a few minutes later. So. Yeah, it was really loud. But yeah, um, the this is a complex issue, isn't it? The you know a club like Norwich City, their issues are totally different to a Liverpool and a Manchester City, who have far more staff, have uh, far more money, and it's now sort of emerged, isn't it? That a thirty percent page pay cut across the division just isn't going to work. It needs to be worked out on a club by club basis, doesn't it? Because Tom Tribal is, does not earn anywhere near as much as Raheem Sterling, for instance. Like not even close. It's it's a totally different issue. You can't ask, say, Tom Tribal. I don't know how much he's on, but you can safely hundred percent say he is not earning fifty grand a week. It's probably at least half of that. Um, whereas Raheem Sterling's on what three hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand pounds a week, you can't even compare the two. So it's far more complex than that. I also feel like the pile on last week. The reason we in the pod didn't t- discuss it too much was because it was still unfolding, wasn't it? And they were talking about the negotiations and these complex matters. And I think people like the politicians saw their little window of time where they could jump on football and they could have they could say whatever they wanted because they knew that there was a little lull in time there where they could get stuck in and there was going to be no comeback. And eventually, football has really bit back, hasn't it? Even Wayne Rooney put a really um, nice piece together, which I think was in the Sunday Times, where he, he sort of said, similar to what you said, Pad, you know, why aren't they talk, why aren't they looking at the billionaire donors to the government, etc. Um, so this is this is a complex one. Um, Connor, to come to you, what do, what do you make of it? All. I mean, lower down the leagues, again, it's going to be totally different to Norwich City, isn't it? You're going to see clubs who are going to need the furloughing situation to, to play pay, pay player wages. Yeah, I think, I think just to go back on the uh, the issue of politicians getting involved, essentially what it is is, is a deflection tactic, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, um, there's this big issue unfolding, but here's something else to engage the, the discourse about for however long. And I think externally people probably look at football and it, it comes down to the, I mean, how many tweets do you see per year about how, how much do footballers earn, how much does a nurse earn, and, and, and it sort of footballers are used in, in that way and and because everyone knows that they've got lots of money and it's, um, well, relatively a, a lot of money, particularly those at the top end of the game. But then if, if you if you chart it back and, and you go back to, to lower league clubs, perhaps, and uh, Gary Neville, actually, I was, I was listening to him speak about the impact of it as, a, as an owner at Salford City. Um, and, and he basically said if, if he used the, the furlough scheme for, for Salford, they could save about £350,000, but they can't do that because you're then looking at Peter Lim and, and David Beckham and Ryan Giggs all owning that club. But for another League Two club, that's a lot of money to save um, and, and a lot of money that could potentially keep your business afro- afloat and your club afloat. And it's becoming increasingly difficult, I think, as the days progress to think about a situation where all 91 EFL and, and Premier League clubs come out of this intact essentially which which is really sad um particularly when you consider macclesfield uh, several other clubs have, have got issues of their own anyway even prior to this um so it's it's, it's very difficult but I, I think football particularly the top end of it is is seen as glamorous it's so in the public eye and lots of people perhaps who aren't football fans or, or looking externally probably think well here's this massive industry awash with money um here are all these individuals with loads of money um, at the moment, their industry isn't doing anything. Why aren't they contributing? And, and I can't, I get the argument from from those. But like I said, when you have that understanding and you're a football fan and you understand how the finances work and how they break down um, and also the contracts that these people sign as well, then it becomes a really complex issue, as, as we've seen already. And, and you raised it there and Tim Krull said it the other day in, in a block of quotes that, that I worked up in terms of if you're a, an under 23s player and you're living at home with your parents and you're contributing to, to paying um, your, your bill for your house, let, let's say, and you're then suddenly asked to take a, a 30% wage cut, that you're going to be in big trouble. So it's it's not as simple as, here's an industry of washing money, let's um, ensure that they do their bit, because I think they will do their bit, and I think they have done their bit. And yeah, a lot of the scrutiny has, has felt a little bit unfair and, and a little unused really to, to deflect, certainly from, from the political spectrum away from from the issues and, and failings that they've got at the moment um 
it's probably not for me to talk about the politics behind it all, but it, it certainly feels like that looking from afar. It's just sort of an easy target, really, when I when I think a lot of footballers will be doing that bit. I mean, Jordan Henderson publicly, and, and we can all see what he's been doing, raising money for the NHS and, and whatnot with, with plenty of other footballers. So there'll be plenty of examples of footballers that do help, plenty that don't help, but I think it's, it's too easy of, of, of a criticism, I guess, to, to put footballers all in the same bracket and criticise them. That's That's my view on it. Classic Jose Mourinho deflection tactics, isn't it? He's gone and yeah. what's he playing at? Gone, gone and been pictured in a park in London, training yeah. with a few of the Spurs players. Um, yeah, it's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the other thing that which eventually came out is um, which came through the PFA, who have taken a lot of the flack for this, but um, I don't think anyone's in an easy situation with this. Clubs, players, governing bodies, whoever. It's an unprecedented situation, but it's the tax side of things. I remember mentioning in my column a few years ago now that um, there was a report that came out and it was for the 2016-17 season. And it showed that football, sorry, just the Premier League generated £3.3 billion in tax. £3.3 billion. Like, that's a huge amount of money, isn't it? And uh, propped up 100,000 jobs around the country. Um, so for when, whenever people say... Um, oh, you know, it's disgraceful that nurses get paid what they pay compa- compared to football. You know, that that's just how capitalism works, isn't it? Footballers aren't paid a random number. Messi isn't paid £650,000 a week because somebody's just fancied giving it to him. It's because he generates that. It's because he probably sells tens of thousands of football shirts around the world every day. He the, There's a reason why people get paid what they do, like Hollywood movie stars and singers, pop stars, whatever. There's a reason people get paid what they get paid. And, you know, nurses don't work in an entertainment industry. They don't get sponsors, etc. So eventually we've sort of seen all these things thrashed out. And I, I feel like people are understanding the whole measures more. Tony, just finally on this, how, what's your sort of read been on it all? Um, yeah, it, like we've said, it's an easy target, isn't it? And it seems like the higher up the chain you go in in any business, it's all about deflecting the attention away from from yourself, isn't it? So instead of the owners of these clubs getting the flack, the multi-billionaires, it's their, effectively their employees, the players, who just so happen to earn more money than, as we said, nurses, um, support staff, all of that. Um, so, yeah, why it's the equivalent of, say, a massive insurance company, Aviva, is the Man City and then a local insurance company is the Norwich and you're putting them in the same bracket in, in that terms and that's how ridiculous that is. Yeah it's far more complex than that isn't it so um, an interesting debate and one to be frank I think we'll still see it unfolding for, for months I think we'll probably hear you know investigations and stuff going into who took furloughing uh, payments and, and didn't possibly for years it could be really complex one but um so we'll see i think we've um we've covered that one fairly fully um in terms of where the season stands uh, we've heard a bit from kenny mclean haven't we he he seems to be worried that it could be over uh, and connor rocky bashiri his season's over in belgium isn't it so there's a little bit of attention on that where it seems maybe uefa aren't totally happy with the way they've done things no, I, I think the the difference with perhaps the Belgian league is is that they only have one game left. So essentially, uh, I think in in the top flight, uh, Club Bruges are about fifteen points clear. So in terms of sorting the title, it already been done. I think relegation was a bit more of a complex one. Um, they've got to have a meeting at some point uh, to then recommend to someone else what they'd like to do in terms of the relegation. Um, they so have because a play- of playoffs. Yeah, they have a playoff system. Um, right. So that makes it very difficult in terms of promotion and relegation. So it's just about sorting that really um, and, and about finding a, a just way, if there is a just way of doing these things, um, of, of sorting that out. But uh, yeah, a completely different situation to, to what we find ourselves in here in England where the league hasn't been completed, nothing's been decided in, in any of the top four divisions. Um, and, and and yeah, you could argue that their decision was, was perhaps a little bit easier than what the Premier League, the EFL, the FA um, have, have all got to make, the National League as well, in in in, uh, in light of this situation. So uh, a different situation. Um, but but yeah, for Rocky Bashiri, his, his loan moves done. So I, I guess he'll, he'll come back to Norwich and start preparing for pre-season or to play some games with the 23s uh, as this season concludes, if, if they do decide to, to get those, those uh, youth games up and running again. 
Centra Dense, isn't he? Is that, yeah. But they're, they're sort of just clear relegation, were they? You know. Yeah, I think they were safe. Yeah, they were yeah. safe. Just about. So he's, but he's been getting in plenty of minutes while he's been over there. So uh, that's interesting. A little bit of transfer news, sort of. Um, <laughs> Pad Daniel Sonani, the lad in Luxembourg, who we've all heard rather a lot about, and it looks, it's seemed pretty certain that he will be on his way to Norwich sooner or later for quite a while. But he's decided to almost confirm himself, isn't he? Yeah, he's a one-man uh, Simon Cowell PR machine. That, that, <laughs> it, uh, well, either that or, or either that, or he's the only story the Luxembourg media are interested in because it seems to be a yeah a running commentary I'm not sure what Norwich will make of that that he's telling us he's uh, sent it back in the post his contract and it's signed and sealed very old school there he's been on tours of Colney I mean really um, he's only confirming what we kind of do anyway um, Norwich could, could go as far as they were allowed in terms of the legal complexities of these things in January but clearly A he was a player they wanted to bring in and B they were actively looking to do it He's now confirmed that. I think there was a bit of a suggestion. Uh, I think he had his 23rd birthday, if I'm not mistaken, in the last few days. And I think at that point, yeah, he, yeah. in terms of the contractual FIFA side of it, he was able to. So maybe that was the trigger for him going public with it. But clearly, this was sort of people they were quite right. So that was a deal that would get done. Obviously, as it stood, the view to him coming in in the summer for next season. Who knows how that plays out now? Um, the way things are going, he might come back for the end of this season. I don't know where we'd go with that because I see FIFA have uh, announced that they're happy to uh, this issue potentially of uh, player contracts expiring on the end, at the end of June and transfer windows that they are happy to almost adapt and model that now around hypothetically football coming back uh, in terms of the professional leagues around Europe. So there's a potential that uh, you know if we're still playing in uh, July or August. September time, the current season, that maybe he might be available. Who knows? I'll throw that one in. But <laughs> important to re- important to reiterate, Norwich aren't going to confirm it. They haven't confirmed it. Why would they? Um, but Brad, if we take him at face value, then uh, that is a done deal, and he is Norwich's first signing whenever the new season is. Right. Well, that's one to monitor. But I think we can safely say that we'll uh, assume that he's a Norwich City player sooner or later, can't we? Um, OK, and just otherwise stuff that's been going on. I heard a nice little tale, actually, from I know a chap who's um, lad plays in the academy. And um, apparently the minibus drivers um, had been sort of missing the uh, the banter from the uh, the academy lads of ferrying them around to, to training and matches and things like that. So as part of the uh, measures you mentioned earlier, Pad, where the players have been ringing around to sort of older fans and things like that, the, um, the academy players all sent texts to the bus drivers at the weekend. Um, just to sort of keep their spirits up, keep in contact with them. So that's a uh, that's a nice sort of uh, little line to hear out of the academy. And uh, Connor, there was a, a a really nice line yesterday, wasn't there, from uh, relating to to Shay Hutchinson, who of course we've uh, heard is um, looking for a second kidney transplant. Yeah, and it came from Thierry Henry, uh, nonetheless, uh, Arsenal legend, Premier League icon. I think you can you can safely say and uh, absolutely. Recording a message for for uh, Shay Hutchinson, who yeah, as, as you mentioned, there is is got his own battle, battles, hasn't he? With uh, is it Al Alport uh, syndrome? Yes, I, I think that's right. Yeah, um, which is essentially a genetic condition, isn't it? I think his his mum has got it as well, and is is waiting for a, a kidney transplant. So quite a a sad story, I guess. He's he's already had one that his his, his dad has donated to him, but that hasn't quite worked in in the way that they'd hoped. And so I think his his kidney is at about. 17% sort of uh, function um, and they say 15% is the point that you need a transplant so uh, yeah he, he he needs one obviously in the, in the current climate that's going to be very difficult given uh, everything that's going on and and how stretched those those health services are at the moment so um, it, it would probably have given him a massive lift I would imagine to, from Thierry Henry he was obviously at Arsenal wouldn't he so um, if, if you're at Arsenal and, and you're a striker then I imagine Thierry Henry is someone that you look up to uh, well, you, yeah, you definitely look up to because uh, he, he was he was one of the finest in in the game in terms of how he played and certainly in the Premier League one of one of the best we've seen and for him to to get that message I think in terms of his spirits and and keeping his morale up then that will have done him wonders but equally for for the club as well it's it's nice to see um, in in these moments that there are those little signs of forgiveness and and community that. I think you you need to 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 keep your spirits up because as I said this is this is quite a lonely time for everyone and and everyone's impacted by it and little things like that can can keep you going for a little while and 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure. We, we didn't find out, did we, if he's technically in the at-risk category. So he, he really would have to sort of isolate. But Yeah, I think, I think, I think he, he is. Yeah, I think, I think I he is. Yeah, I've spoken to, the, spoken to the club. Yeah, yeah, I did speak to the club on that. Yeah, apparently he is. And uh, you mm. wish him the best. Yeah, so the, the 1.5 million uh, sort of most vulnerable who were needing to self-isolate, that included people who'd had transplants, didn't it? So, um, yeah. yeah, he's um, he's obviously got to be very careful at the moment. So, yeah, well, of course, we all wish him, wish him the best, and but that's not half bad, is it? Getting uh, a real legend like Thierry Henry saying that he's uh, his hero. Um, what player Thierry Henry was. Right, let's get on to the pink composer, because this really took off last week, and we all offered up our worst ever matches that came to came to uh, mind and we put it to you guys we've got over 60 responses on twitter so we're going to rattle through um as many of them as we can now and um who whoever said that people from norfolk like to have a good moan eh? <laughs> we get something negative and uh, we get a massive response so that's what we like to see and then we will set you our new pink composer. So I will kick off with a couple, and then Connor, if you come in with a couple, Tony, then you, and then Paddy, and then we'll uh, we'll just get through a few like that. Um, uh, so first off, Robin Saintney, of course, CDP columnist, he agrees with you, Pad. The nil nil at Burton, deadly boring, and it was bloody freezing. And <laughs> Ollie Huguenines, sorry, I can't pronounce that one properly. Um, Ollie, I think, is uh, in Norway yet. Yeah? Um, who says, January 2000, 3-0, home defeat to Charlton. I'd studied in Australia the six months before, booked my flight home from Australia to Norway via London just to watch that game. <laughs> Pretty grim. Yeah, a couple, couple for me. So Joe has, has said lots of goals, but 3-2 against Forrest at home in 2008-ish, he's put. He said Forrest scored all five goals. That's, that's not one that, that springs to my mind anyway, but uh, a 3-2 as a, as a worse game isn't too bad. And then uh, Judy Trivett, who, who we all know, 2-0 defeat at Wolves in 2007 under Peter Grant. Dyer in every respect, even Wolves were awful, which I think probably says a lot about Norwich at that time. Over to you, Tony. Yeah, I've got uh, Graham Leader here. He's um, gone for the entertainment point of view. Uh, Reading nil, Norwich nil in the Premier League under surprise, surprise, Chris Hewton. Both teams reached the Medeski out. And Chris Parker is kind of agreeing on the Hewton uh, point. To sum the Chris Hewton era up, you could have a top five and every game is nil, nil or potentially one nil to the opposition. A couple v Newcastle. Connor mentioned one of those, I think. And 1v Southampton were just as dire. An early home game v West Ham was pants too. Also away to Sunderland on a cold Saturday near Christmas. So um, I think a lot of recent games seem to be nil-nils under Hewton. <laughs> right, I've got two. I've got two here. I mean, as you say, plenty to pick from. Dave Gibbs at dgibbs72. Where to start, says Dave. Wooden Norwich, nil-nil. Sellers Park, 2001. And I like this anecdote. Took my wife to her first game. Why the blokes in the middle never touch the ball? It keeps going over their heads, she observed. Too right, it was awful. And uh, finally, Steve Carman, at Steve underscore Carman. Every game where Glenn Roder was in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, our friend Corey, who, uh, Corey Varney, who you mentioned a little earlier, Pad, uh, he suggests 4-0 away at Middlesbrough. Cold night in November. I was ill. It was midweek. The roads were closed coming back, but worst of all, when Hamgo pit stop on that long journey home, Burger King was shut. That sounds pretty grim and not as bad as this. I remember this. I was quite young. I, th I think I only had listened to this on the radio, but Terry Westgate. I was at Port Vale when we lost 6-1. 6-1 to Port Vale. And uh, Ian follows up uh, with uh, three days after losing 5-1 at West Brom. Yeah, I think that was what, late 90s, was it? Brian Hamilton, I think, maybe was in charge then. Um, pretty grim. Uh, Connor, just another couple from you. Yeah, I've, I've seen the Port Vale one mentioned, which uh, makes me laugh. My, my dad's got a really strange affinity with Port Vale. Essentially, he likes them because they were really rubbish when he was growing up. So uh, <laughs> he's got a bit of a soft spot for them. Uh, Norwich nil, Plymouth three. Doesn't specify which year, though. Someone has, uh, Dave Major, has, has said 2 0 lost to QPR at Loftus Road in 94 95. And then someone has said losing 5 1 to Villa this season. There we go. Uh, here's one that me and you remember most unfondly, Pad. The 5-0 loss at Brighton. Travelled from Derby, stuck on the M25. Pritchard had a mare against the club he snubbed. 
That's from Daniel Lomas. So that was Alex Neal era, wasn't it? That was the day that Russ Martin came out almost close to tears. I was um, I was fortunate that day. I was uh, I was having an operation, so I was knocked out for pretty much all of it. <laughs> and then I sort of came back round and I sort of said to my dad, "Oh, what's the score?" And he said, "Oh, they're four 0 down." And I was in my sort of semi-conscious state, so I went, "Oh, okay." So I was quite glad I missed that one in the end. The one I remember about that pad was that we recorded. It, Michael didn't work that day, did he? So it's just me and you, and we recorded a podcast in the car in the dark, didn't we? And then you <laughs> shot off on the train into London, and I drove home on my yeah, own after that. that. <laughs> that was that was in a fairness, pretty day. Brighton away this season wasn't wasn't as good either, was it? Yeah, um, getting absolutely soaked. Yeah, I found yeah. that video on my phone the other day actually of me running in the rain <laughs> that I put on the app. <laughs> that was uh, that was a strange one. But there's loads more there. So if um, if you want to head to the Pink and Twitter feed, um, you can see the um, the Zerg responses. Uh, the Emperor of Bosnia says the five nil at Ipswich. Yes. Of course, the six nil at Fulham has been. Uh, mentioned. We were awful, Cranston said. That's a good point. Wolves Wolves a few weeks ago or a month or two ago. Yeah, that was, was a real no show, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. the players openly were saying after that, we were awful. <laughs> like, that just went completely wrong. Um, but yeah, there's a few, few of the mentions that for that nil nil at Burton. Sorry? Hadn't they won the game before that as well? No. Would that have been the Bournemouth game? Yeah, I think. I remember. That they've won before that. Uh, no, so it seems like ages ago now. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, get stuck into them. There's loads. Thanks very much for um, your response. Over 60 on the Twitter account. So let's set this week's Pink Composer, which is underrated players. And um, who wants to go first on this one? I don't. We haven't actually told each other who we've got, so I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. steal the thunder. Who wants to take first place? Let me dive in, mate. Let me dive in. I'm going to offer up the Scottish Cafu, not Russell Martin, Stephen Whittaker. Give you a few of his numbers. I'll give you a few of his numbers. Five years, which I was quite surprised that he spent at Carrow, but because we're talking underrated, arrived on a free transfer, so they didn't pay a penny for him. You know, there's a lot of talk about Tim Krul, Timu Puki, quite understandably inspired free transfer business. But Wits arrived from Rangers, where he'd been very successful, part of a, a true winning rock squad there. Arrived there, played 90, so bear in mind, free transfer, 90 league games. It was first season was the season they stayed up under Hewton, where they topped off with Johnny Housen's uh, goal, beating Man City on the final day. OK, he was part of a squad that went down, but under Alex Neal, championship playoff season, 48 appearances that season, so an integral member of that team who went back to the Premier League and, dare I say it, capped by, in my opinion, his best ever game in a Norwich shirt, which was the playoff final, Wembley, Middlesbrough, Norwich 2, intrinsic role in uh, Nathan Redmond's, uh, as it was, match ceiling uh, goal, that fine team goal. Um, Excellent, excellent play. He was underappreciated because he was one of the... Six guaranteed every week. He might occasionally nudge playoff a bit higher, but not eye-catching. Um, the sort of pitch, uh, pitch. I mean, obviously now you've got you know the Trent Alexander-Arnolds and the Max Aaron's, and it, it, even now, and we're only going back a few years when he was playing for Norwich. That full-back role has probably been redefined again in the modern game. But solid citizen. Um, but don't underestimate how important he was in that phase and. As I say, if you want value for money, a lad I didn't pay a penny for, Stephen Whitaker. There closes the case of defence. Like it, yeah. Got plenty of Scotland caps. Not so much a central midfielder as uh, <laughs> Alex Neil proved against Brentford, though. Yeah, well, we'll gloss over that one, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think you've got to make a move in a second, haven't you, Pad? So if you if you need to dip out, this might be a yeah, yeah. I'm all up for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all right. yeah. Well. If I just disappear, then you know where I've gone. I've got Stephen, uh, Stephen, Stephen Whitaker, <laughs> Stuart Webber. What's that? What's that word about furloughing? Apparently, so yeah, I'm joking, right. of course. But there you go. That's a joke, Dave. Okay. Um, you looked at me like you, I was serious, mate. You just, you just, you just really want to hear what everyone else is underrated players. Yeah, no, I do, I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm well up for this. Yeah, yeah. Mine, mine, I'll, go, I'll go mine next, shall I? Yeah, um, go for it. My, mine. Uh, Underrated by some, I think. Jason Shackle, um, another one that came for nothing because it was through the academy. Um, he was 
I think Grant made him captain, didn't he? Um, but then it seemed to be when Rhoda came in, he fell out of favour. They got rid of him to Wolves, but then halfway through that same season, they brought him back on loan. So it was kind of a case of you don't know what you had until it's gone. But by then it was too late. Norwich ended up getting relegated. It must have been Gunn that brought him back in on loan, actually, when Rhoda had been sacked. But I remember, yeah, right. I remember he came in, Shackle came into the team at the tail end of the Premier League season, didn't he? Yeah. Was quite good. And then, I don't know, I, just, I feel like he was never sort of looked at as being a good, solid player. He just sort of passed by fans, but I was rated him. And when he left it, I was a bit sad because, I mean, looking at the player they brought in to replace him, Stefanovic, he didn't really do much, did he? <laughs> yeah, and like with injuries, and I mean, Shackle went on to have a very good career, didn't he? Really playing for Derby yeah. and got promoted two or three times, didn't he? Was it Burnley and Derby as well? So, and is it Lincoln um, now, isn't he? Lincoln, he was in the League Two team of the season last year at what 33 34. Yeah. So, yeah, he's gone on to have a really good, good career. Um, I think, yeah, Norwich. Well, I, I don't know the financial stipulations whether they had to sell him, but looking back, they probably shouldn't have sold him. And if they hadn't, maybe they wouldn't have got relegated that year. Yeah, they probably didn't get the best out of him. I remember him, I think he had to play at left-back, didn't he, in that game at Palace when they drew 3-3 during the, the great escape when Andy Johnson yeah. dived face-first to get them a penalty to get them back in the game. Um, he had a bit of a nightmare on a really windy day, if I'm not confusing that with another game at Palace. Uh, Connor, over to you. Well, I was going to say Stephen Whittaker, so I've had to uh, <laughs> change my answer somewhat. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah, I was actually. Yeah, mainly because he's kind of remembered as this comical figure that played in central midfield once. But uh, he was, yeah, as, as Paddy said, for all the reasons. Stop he... going on about. Stop going on about his central midfieldship. It was a one-off, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, so, so I've had to. Quickly I don't remember him having a long time. Go on, go on. Um, so I've mentions for David Fox, Andrew Crofts, and Chris Martin, but uh, I've gone for Andrew Sermon. Uh, only. Saw him 60 times, well, about 60 times for Norwich. Um, and it, it was mainly because of how little he played, I think, that he was probably underappreciated a little. Maybe this is one more for underappreciated and underrated by managers, um, because he certainly didn't play perhaps as much as he should have for, for the quality he showed in glimpses. I think particularly in uh, in the season where Norwich got promotion, he, he was very good for glimpses as well. Um, I remember a good goal against Bristol City, I think, that he scored. Um, also against Ipswich, didn't he? He scored at Portman Road. Um, just thought he was a very classy midfielder. Uh, fitted into that system nicely, um, just made that midfield very functional in, in the diamond, uh, very good. I think he, he came back briefly, didn't he, when they got relegated um, and with Neil Adams in charge and played at Wolves and then left pretty pretty soon after. Um, but very good player. I think he's shown his quality at Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, for me, Andrew Sermon, because I had to change my answer very, very quickly. <laughs> he's a good player, Andrew Sermon. I think he's one of those, a bit like Huckabee here at Norwich, he's, he's, he found his home at Bournemouth, didn't he? And that's where he's where he's always been happiest in his career. So uh, he, I think his heart was always on the South Coast, really. But yeah, real real good quality player. Um, now, I toyed with Johnny Housen, but I don't know what you guys think, but I, I think Housen moved out of the underrated territory by the time his career was over at Norwich and he was almost uh, not not overrated, but he'd moved out of that category, hadn't he? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I think most most fans would take issue, mate, if you put him in the uh, under, <laughs> underappreciated, undervalued category. Yeah. I think quality well, player, mate. So, so certainly, the first couple of years he was with Norwich, I think he was a bit underrated, and and it took a it took a while for people to appreciate him. Um, I'll give a couple of honourable mentions as well. Steve Morrison, um, also was a bit underappreciated, and right. Darren Kent. See you late. See you later, mate. Oh, See you, later. you obviously didn't watch the quiz the quiz the quiz the other night, did you, dear? <laughs> which is a nice segue for you boys to discuss the quiz. Come on, tell, tell DF about Morris. See you later. Oh, <laughs> he's gone. He's rage quit. <laughs> he's rage quit. So yeah, Mor- Morrison and Kennan um, were the two that I was uh, that I'll shelve. But Anthony Pilkington's the one I'm going to go for. Um, I think injury takes a lot of um, a lot of the blame for this. But 15 goals in 82 games for Norwich. Um, and, and, you know, his injuries did really see him tail off. But that first season, the Lambert season in the Premier League, he scored eight goals in 32 games, um, you know, scored some some cracking ones. So there was that free kick against Villa, wasn't there, which um, I think the Premier League put out randomly the other day. As I guess it was like a, an on this day sort of thing. The cross for, um, for that goal against Manchester United. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the header that uh, he scored against Manchester United. 
Um, I, I thought Pills was a really, really good player. But um, had he not got injured, then um, he maybe would be thought of a bit more highly. But really, when you look back on what he achieved for Norwich in a fairly short time, I thought he was a really good player. Yeah, and he hasn't so, generally sort of hit those heights since, has he? No, nah, he's just never found full fitness. So we're really interested to hear what your um, most underappreciated or underrated players are. So um, do get in touch. Tony will put out a, a tweet on the, the Pink and Twitter account and uh, we'll go through as many of them as we can next week. What did I miss about Steve Morrison, uh, Connor? I, I, I have to admit, Paddy's, I haven't watched the quiz back yet. Yeah, Paddy's not a fan. We, he, he did his own round uh, of questions, which I think was round three. And it was basically uh, which Norwich striker was the most difficult to deal with. And he gave the options. And then Steve Morrison was, was basically his answer. And he told an anecdote about how he tried to interview him. And he went off, I think, halfway through the interview. And they had to get him back and didn't particularly want to do it. So uh, right. I, I, I don't think uh, there's no love lost there between Steve Morrison and, and Paddy Davitt, I don't think. <laughs> Right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> right. Well, that was a red rag to uh, red rag to a David. It's, it's, it? it's entirely personal. It's not based on anything footballing. I don't think <laughs> that doesn't sound like Paddy. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, just to finish off, then, uh, just a little bit of a, an update on bits and pieces we've been up to. Uh, Connor, you've spoken to Brady Johnson, haven't you? Uh, Pad spoken to Ben Godfrey. And there was a transfer rumour, Emi Buendia to Atletico Madrid. I'm not sure how much credence I'm, I'm reading into this one. What did you make of it? Certainly not for 15 million euros, which was the price the Spanish website was uh, was citing. But then you, you don't, I suppose, it, my argument to that would be you don't know what sort of impact this whole situation is going to have on the transfer window with clubs losing money. Are we going to see some deflation in terms of transfer fees? Who knows? Um, but... Yeah, it's, it's probably not a shock, really. I think it was only a matter of time before some uh, fairly sizable club got linked with Emi Wendia, given his, his numbers and everything we've heard about him this season. He's become almost like hipster's choice, hasn't he, I think, a little bit. Um, and he's a very good player, but but equally, yeah, I'm not quite sure he's a Simeone player. I'm not quite sure that he would he would fit into to the way Atletico Madrid play, but um, who knows? Who knows? It's, it's probably a matter of time before we saw him linked with someone. Um but yeah, I'd, I'd not having that price, I don't think Norwich would particularly be keen to sell him for perhaps as little as that. Um, but yeah, the, the, it's always weird, I think, when transfer rumours pop up at this this time of, uh, well, with everything that's going on. But uh, yeah, I, I think probably I'll put it down to a lot of clubs doing a, a lot of scouting and probably advancing their plans for the transfer window and probably agents being a little bit active at this time as well. So not sure what to read of it, but. Uh, I'm not sure, certainly at the fee, that, that that's one that Norwich would go for at this moment in time. I'd like, like to see Simeone and, and uh, Emmy on the touchline having a <laughs> having a one-two together. Yes, yeah. Both throwing their toys out of the pram at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, I, I think Emmy is capable of playing at a top level, but like you say, it's the style. I, I think where you, you would potentially see Emmy really flourish now is if he can step into a a big attacking team, a Man City or a Liverpool, something like that. Yeah, technical um, side. I don't Because yeah. a lot of what Atleti do so well is off the ball, isn't it? We saw it at Anfield and in both games against Liverpool, to be fair. But I'm not, I think he'd he'd probably get quite frustrated, I think, in playing for Atletico Madrid, um, as opposed to perhaps someone who, who is a bit more technical and where he's going to receive a lot more of the ball. But he is good at his defensive side when he's switched on as well, isn't he? You know, he, his tackling stats are always really quite good because he does put his foot in. It's just... You know, it's when he loses the ball in a silly position, a silly little back heel or something like that, and then he has a strop. That's that's where the frustration comes with him. Um, but we all know that he's a top player. And, and you've got to be honest. I mean, if, if Atletico Madrid did come in and offered the sort of money that tempted Norwich, Emmy's going to want to go. That is a, a massive club. There's no, no Norwich fan that would really stand in his way, I don't think. That's Champions League football. That's competing for the La Liga title. So uh, one to add to the list. Uh, what else have we had going on? Oh, the quiz, Connor, we have mentioned it. But how can, what's the best way for people to watch that back? Is it on Twitter or YouTube? Yes, it's on Twitter. I think there's, there's also a story on our website as well. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, but I, I would imagine Twitter following yeah, it yeah. back through the live stream is probably the best way to do it. Tony's probably better versed to speak about technical issues, but I would imagine Twitter's probably the best way to do it, isn't it, Tony? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's run through Periscope, which links to Twitter. Um, so if you just sort of scroll back to Friday, it will be there. But I mean, we've got the new one coming up on Friday, this Friday, 7pm. So that's that's probably the one you want to look out for now. Connor will be 
preparing his questions, no doubt. And uh, I think we've got a special contributor taking over from Paddy this week. So, yeah, it should be good. A surprise name. I, to be honest, I missed it last week. I was just quizzed out. There's, there's so many quizzes going <laughs> yeah. on at the moment, aren't there, through Zoom. And, you know, a couple of my mates have done ones. I just didn't want to do another quiz. So, yeah. um, I'll join in with you guys this Friday then. Um, our colleague, Mark Armstrong, also spoke to Rob Newman, City legend. That's a really nice piece. So that's worth uh, checking out. And Tony, just to finish with the World Cup of derbies on Twitter, um, Ooh, yes. which was marking... 4,000 days since losing to Ipswich, wasn't it? Since last losing to Ipswich. Yes. Um, the winner of that, you got that off the top of your head? Yeah, it was uh, the playoff uh, semi um, fans on the pitch. I mean, it's understandable probably from the last 10. Uh, that came up against 5-1 at Portman Road, which, I mean, all, all uh, eight we chose were pretty epic moments. Even the closer equaliser wasn't a win, mm. but just that moment, a lot of fans were commenting how it's not necessarily about the result, it's about that feeling, that five, ten minutes of, of pure emotion during a oh, game. Oh no, when yeah. are we ever going to beat them? <laughs> but I mean, that's the one thing you miss when you're two leagues apart is those moments, so hopefully maybe not in the next year or two, but hopefully soon we'll get those moments again, maybe in the cup. Yeah, well... That but Norwich have got more to lose at the moment, so... Yeah, I'd take any football right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have to admit, you know, I, I'm sure all you listeners as well, we're all missing it um, whenever it's going to return. You know, watching all the highlights, clips and videos, you know, I've, I've ended up watching all sorts of things on YouTube. BT have been putting out good highlights packages. I watched um, uh, the Liverpool Champions League final in Istanbul in what, 2005, uh, Liverpool FA Cup final against West Ham in 2006, that 3-3, that was an amazing game. Uh, Man United's Champions League final win 99. Watching things like that, it's lovely reflecting on football, but it also gives you that little bit of sadness, doesn't it, about missing it? I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Live, live football, you can't replace it. When you know the score, it's just not the same, is it? No, yeah, I know. I agree. I think when you, when you know the score, it, it does uh, not ruin it. Spoilers, but um, it's it's certainly. I think takes probably the excitement out of it a little yeah. bit. It's, it's nice to reminisce, uh, but there's there's only so much reminiscing you can do. I think uh, I, I'm certainly eager to, to get back to a, a football stadium and to watch a game of football, that's for sure. Absolutely. Right. Thank you, boys. Um, and thank you very much for listening. I hope it provides a, a little bit of uh, respite hearing a, a few familiar voices and, and looking back on the football and well hopefully looking ahead to the football as well um keep washing your hands keep following the social distancing uh, guidelines that's the important thing of course easter weekend coming up um uh, the government and the authorities all desperately hoping people are, are sensible um i think the weather's going to be reasonably decent again so um it's difficult but we've all got to dig in and, and make sure that we uh, protect the nhs and do the sensible things at the moment haven't we and then uh, hopefully sometime soon we can start looking ahead to when football is actually going to return and we can get back to normal life but it's just going to take that little bit of patience and uh, strength of mind from from so many of us to get through to that point um if you ever want to get in contact with us uh, you can probably through the ping and twitter account is is your best um port of call our dms are open as uh, as they say um if you ever want to pose a question or suggestion to us and then, then do get in touch for now from me connor tony and paddy who has uh, already made his exit stage left we'll say goodbye and we will catch up with you again very soon